You're listening to a podcast from the Queen Mary Centre for the History of the Emotions. We've created this series of short audio pieces to introduce listeners to what we do. As historians of emotions, we look to the past to understand our feelings in the present. Emily Dickinson once wrote about loneliness having its caverns and its corridors. In this episode, James Morland wanders cloud-like through this and other poetic images of loneliness in search of its emotional meaning. In vain to me the smiling morning shine, and reddening Phoebus lifts his golden fire. The birds in vain their amorous descant join, or cheerful fields resume their green attire. These ears, alas, for other notes repine, a different object do these eyes require. My lonely anguish melts no heart but mine, and in my breast the imperfect joys expire. Thomas Gray's sonnet on the death of Richard West places the lonely anguish of grief in direct contrast to the cheerful bustlings of spring. Gray's loneliness is a complete separation from the populated natural world, where anguish is felt in no heart but his own. Emily Dickinson writes of the loneliness one dare not sound, proclaiming it to be the horror not to be surveyed, but skirted in the dark. For Dickinson, loneliness cannot even be looked upon and must be manoeuvred around in the dark. While it's hard to generalise what the feeling of loneliness is, we can loosely assume that loneliness is always linked with some form of absence. As a feeling of absence, it's a feeling that is often described in conjunction with other emotions and is defined by contrasts and what it is not. Dickinson ends her poem declaring that loneliness's caverns and its corridors illuminate or seal. Loneliness can be both light-filled or darkness-stricken. So how can we define a feeling that is constantly shifting and should not be surveyed? Tracing some of the mentions of lonely and of loneliness in 18th century poetry can tell us more about how loneliness became the internal feeling we recognise today. As loneliness moves internally, these poets reveal it to be an emotion that combines with others to either illuminate the spaces around us or seal us off in a cavern of darkness. An illuminating loneliness has a long history of being linked to productivity and creativity. When we think of loneliness in literature, many perhaps first turn to William Wordsworth's I Wandered Lonely as a Cloud. This version of loneliness is ultimately productive. To wander lonely is a way to feel a connection with nature. We similarly see this in Anna Barbold's 1773 poem to Mrs P, where she's stuck within a lonely hour. She cheats this loneliness with song or paint, an insect or a flower where creativity linked to the viewing of the natural world provides an antidote to her loneliness. Loneliness is a necessary feeling for these poets to be creatively productive. Notably, though, these productive poets 
are writing in the daylight, and their loneliness illuminates the natural world around them. But what of the lonely poets who are in the darkness, where Dickinson finds the unsurveyable horror? In the mid-18th century, a poetry of absence developed, where poets focused their work on the darkened spaces of graveyards and the nighttime. This loneliness experienced in the dark is not productive in the same sense as Wordsworth's communing with nature, and is perhaps more like what we associate with a contemporary feeling of loneliness. Though rather than skirting around loneliness in the dark like Dickinson, these poets face their loneliness head-on in the night, using the darkness to explain their internal anguish. The darkness of night, with its physical absence of light, becomes a metaphor for these poets to represent the feelings of absence that were central to their loneliness. To turn back to Dickinson's version of loneliness, this darkness is of the ceiling kind, with the poets writing of their own personal caverns of darkness, sealing them off from the world with their lonely feelings replaying in an endless cycle of anguish. Thomas Gray, writing his sonnet to his recently deceased close friend Richard West, encapsulates this sealing off by defining his loneliness in direct opposition to what it is not, cheerful spring. The springtime smiling mornings provide the antithesis of his feelings of loneliness. These ears, alas, for other notes repine, a different object do these eyes require. My lonely anguish melts no heart but mine. Gray's loneliness stems from being left behind by West, and nothing can console it. The absence Gray feels in his loneliness completely removes him from the scene of smiling mornings. Loneliness affects at a sensory level in these poems of darkness, specifically the poet's sight and hearing. Just as Dickinson suggests that loneliness is something that dare not sound and is the horror skirted around in the darkness, Gray's ears repine or yearn for other sounds, and his eyes require different objects to look upon. Gray is not only left alone by West, but is completely isolated from the whole system of nature itself, where his eyes and ears find no comfort in his surroundings. Yet morning smiles the busy race to cheer, a newborn pleasure brings to happier men. The fields to all their wanted tribute bear, to warm their little loves the birds complain. I fruitless mourn to him that cannot hear, and weep the more because I weep in vain. In contrast to the continual rebirth of spring, grief leads Grey into a cycle where his lonely anguish is unchanging and never-ending. In contrast to the nature that produces such a productive connection with the world for Wordsworth or Barbold, nature seems to mock Grey and highlight his lonely anguish of grief. His loneliness, just like Dickinson's, seals him off from the world. But in writing poetry, Gray and Dickinson, while alone in the darkness, are writing to some form of audience. Whether in light or darkness, poetry becomes a literary space to explore these feelings of loneliness with others. The writing of them in verse to be read and repeated allows these feelings to become amplified and echoed back with each future reader. In defining and versifying their feelings of loneliness, they create a community of readers connected by these lonely feelings, where these echoes make their lonely anguish 
melt more hearts than just their own. Thank you for listening to this podcast. It's part of the Living with Feeling project funded by the Wellcome Trust. We hope it helped you feel better. To find out more about our work, please visit emotionslab.org.